We are in Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. We are dealing with the priorities of the husband. Do I have a count on how many messages I've got here? So I make sure I... Because if I don't get at least eight on men, I will be... Nine? I have to do nine on men. Okay. Remember, Elijah ran from Jezebel. <laughs> this is five? Oh, this is a piece of cake. <laughs> Let's read the Holy Word of God. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So, husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. But as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Father, I ask that you would teach us this morning, each and every one of us, that we may hear. Father, if uh, they are married, may they bow to the authority of Your Scripture. Father, if they be single, may they understand what marriage is, the depth of it, the power of it, and that it is a picture of our Savior and His bride, His body, His church. Thank You, Lord. In Christ's name, Amen. I've been dealing with the manner of love. And I gave you last week out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, three things that men can do that will assist their wives. One is that they need to be sensitive. They need to understand the likes, the dislikes, those things that make our wives who they are. All right, But they also have to be considerate, or to use a term, chivalrous. And that means way more than opening a door or closing a door. It has to do with looking at her as the weaker vessel and meeting her needs, caring for her, protecting her, and overseeing her, and giving her spiritual guidance, which you were designed to do men. Period. We discussed that in Sunday school this morning, that the man is the spiritual leader. Period. I don't care whether he's saved or not. He's still the spiritual leader. Okay? That's why women should never marry an unbeliever if they are believers. Because he will be the spiritual leader and you have to submit to that. But who is he guiding you to? Alright? But the other thing is, the third thing is, there needs to be communion. Communications. Alright? Now listen. It doesn't mean one person talks. Communications is between two people, and it's an interaction back and forth. And sometimes I see in relationships, one is, shall we call, chatty, and the other isn't. And so you have this one-sided conversation all the time. Now, the person conversing tends to get annoyed by it because it's like, well, they're not listening. And I keep thinking, well, they're listening. You just ain't giving them a chance to breathe. Or respond, either way. Okay, so these are three things that in 3.7 of 1 Peter are very simple. So the manner that we are to love is we are to love as Christ loves. Okay? And that gives the greatest sacrifice even if they're unworthy. All right. Marriage 
if the marriage is in the church today, were Christ base, what would the church look like? You ever think of that? That's, that's stunning to me. I think that's one of the things that floored me when I was in Russia. Uh, it really shocked me my first time because it was, it's just antithetical to everything I've lived through. And the families loved each other. Therefore, the church loved its one another. And I mean, you could just see it. It was, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like they would knock each other over to serve. And it's, uh, I see the thing posted on the internet that said, the church is not a cruise ship where you have a few people serving everybody else who relax. The church is a battleship and it's all hands on deck. And I thought, well, there you go. So when I look at this, and I mean, that's, that's my heart and my passion for Pastor Pastor Paul and Pastor Philip, they're in trouble. The Russians are making it. The Belarus are making it. Okay? But those, I, when I get an email from Philip's daughter, who's head of something medical in Mumbai, <laughs> and she says, can you get us bottles of oxygen? And you're sitting there going, you know, I've got one with my torch. <laughs> I'm not sure how far that's going to get you. And I'm not sure how full it is. I haven't used it in a few months. So, but what's funny, I'll, I'll finish that because it was funny. Right after that, uh, FEMA had the military ship in, uh, about three or four C-17s full of bottled oxygen. And she sent me a thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I just called my friends at the Pentagon. Hey, man, can you bottle this up and get this on the road for me? <laughs> so, but if our marriages were as Christ-based as we've been called, the world will take notice. But I've been sharing over the weeks that marriage is cursed. It's a reversal of roles. Women want to assert the authority of the man, and the men want to rule, dominate the woman. That is cursed. That is part of the nature of man. But we also are in a corrupt society. I showed you that in Genesis, the adaptation of adultery, of incest, of homosexuality, of fornication, prostitution, that all happened in Genesis. And it laid the foundation for the society that you and I live in today. But then I showed you last week that evil men will get worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Okay? Yet, I shared with you, the first three chapters of this book are doctrine. And it shows us things that we can overcome all of this. But there are two requirements. One is you must be in Christ. That was one of Paul's favorite terms, is that I am in Christ. Meaning that if you look at me, you see Christ. If you look at Christ, you see me. There's no separation between the two. Okay? So you, you know what I'm trying to say is, in a very complicated way, I'll say it this way. You've got to be a believer. Okay. Secondly, you've got to be spirit-filled. That means you are mastered by the Spirit of the living God. He is your GPS. He is the one who is guiding you. Okay. If that is in your life, then you will be more than an overcomer. Verse 22 says that wives are supposed to be subject to their own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25 says, A husband is to love his wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for. All right? Please remember that this comes after verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay? That's all of us. We are to be subject to one another. Listen, this corruption that you and I exist in can only be defeated when we are in the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, there is no other way. I don't care how many 
conferences you go to, symposiums you go to. I don't care how many self-help books or marriage books. I don't care any of that. None of that is going to help you unless you are mastered by God's power. Only then. All right? So Ephesians 5, uh, we are commanded to be filled. The word filled there is what would speak of a sailing ship when the sails are full and pushing. That is Spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit is moving me along. The Spirit-filled life, we are able to fulfill our marriages as God planned and designed. 22 to 24 was the wife. Verse 25, Men, you are to love your wife. Note what's missing there. It does not say you are to rule your wife. It does not say you are to dominate your life. It does not say you are to control your wife. It says you are to love your wife. And one of the things that's amazing to me about that is that in that text, love your wife versus wives submit to your husband, you see a mutual submission. Okay, submission is not, well, the women do the submission and the guys drive the bus. That's not what it means. I'll show you some things here. First Corinthians seven, you guys all remember when we were in Corinthians, right? First Corinthians seven, verse four. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You know what that is? Mutual submission. Mutual submission. All right. But drop down to verse 33. This is an interesting concept. This is the Apostle Paul who had the spiritual gift. Did you know that? There's a spiritual gift of singleness. And if you think about it, it's going to take supernatural intervention to make me single. I mean, everybody, I don't know. All right. So, but it's, this is what he's talking about. The one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Did you see that? I am concerned about how to please my wife. How many of you men can say, I am concerned about how to please my wife at any given moment during the day? But look, it goes on. Verse 34, his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may what? Please her husband. There it is again. It's that mutual submission. Now, Paul's saying you don't have that distraction. Hey, if if you're single, you don't have that distraction. My wife has asked me several times, some of these trips I have taken, can she go? And I tell her no. And she says, why? I only want to look after one. Okay, let me take care of myself. I mean, when you go to Azerbaijan, it's 98% Muslim, and it's a Stalinistic dictatorship. All right? It's what we call a bad neighborhood. When you go into the Republic of Georgia, we went north. I was going to share the gospel with Chechnyans. You know, anybody ever heard that word? They're Muslim. They said they're under oppression by the Russians. Let's go up and share the gospel with them. Maybe they'll listen to an American. So we were cruising up this mountain pass, and you're just like, wow, man, this is totally pretty. This looks like, I don't know what this looks like. These were some big mountains. We come around the corner. There's three Soviet tanks sitting in the middle of the road. And you're like, wow, cool. What's are they broke down? They get out, start talking. Now, I know enough Russians, I know when I need to run. <laughs> okay? That's the extent of my Russian. 
And so they take my passport and they look at it and all the rest of it. They told my interpreter that Russia had annexed four miles of Georgia on Monday. This was Wednesday. So where we were going was Russia now. And we couldn't get there because I didn't have a Russian visa. So they turned us around and let us go. And I was happy with that. I mean... (laughs) So that works with me, man. Okay. But see, when you're dealing with different situations like this, I mean, I got caught in Moscow and they stopped me in Red Square, took me over to the subway, took me downstairs, took me into this little booth, sat there and looked at me for about an hour, giving my passport back, smiled, and I left. I mean, you guys don't have anything to do, do you? I didn't say that. Why? Because I understand there are times in this world that it's easier to make sure where I am, who I am, what I'm doing, and I don't have to worry about others. Right? Now, this mutual submission, I want us to understand that. And and you know that I've gone through Genesis, I've gone through 1 Corinthians, here and back and forth and all the rest of it. And you can't teach. One of the things I have learned, you cannot teach Ephesians 5 isolated from the rest of Scripture. You have to show where it is, the pluses and the minuses. When someone revolts against God's plan, we looked at consequences. That's why there is a curse on marriage, because Adam and Eve revolted against God's predetermined plan. So, wives are to submit to their husband. A husband's submission is that he is to love his wife. And some of you will say, well, how hard is that? I mean, that's submission? Just to love my wife? Why do you think I married her? Why do you think I'm dating her? Okay, let's take it to step. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is a tremendous text, but I will honestly say that it is difficult. But in its difficulty, what I have learned is there are massive men, massive responsibilities here. So much of this is understated in the church today. Men, whether you like it or not, we each look out for our own life in light of what God's saying. Tell me I'm wrong. I just gave you an illustration of why my wife has not got to see the beautiful coast of the Caspian Sea. Huh? Why? Because I'm looking out for myself. This is a manner of love that we're dealing with. Uh, Verse 25, when I read that, I realize that the love a husband is supposed to have for his wife is, uh, how shall I say this, a pretty high standard, to say the least. We have to love our wives by what manner? Simple, the way Christ loves the church. No problem, huh? And then you're going to do, maybe you don't, maybe you got this all figured out. When I read that, I was like, hey, Lord, it's just me down here. What are you asking? To love as Christ loves his church? Really? You've lost your mind. Okay. Okay. That's why I pray a lot when I'm studying. If I look at the facts involved in the kind of love that Christ is, obviously, we cannot love by the quantity of Christ, nor can we love by the quality of Christ. Not in its fullest capacity, 
I will when I stand before Him. But I can't do it down here. But we can in kind. And I'll explain that. I read an author, I can't remember. He made the statement of loving in kind as Christ. And then he used this illustration. I said, I have to use that illustration because he explains it better than I will. Quote, we may not be the ocean, but we can have some in our bucket. Unquote. Okay. So how does Christ love his church? Verse 25 is sacrificial. And it says that he gave himself up. Okay. I remember hearing a saying, it's been a while back. I want to think, I want you to think about this. When asked, would you die for Christ? What would you say? Yeah. Will you live for him? Okay. Now then, flip that and say, would you die for your wife? Flip it. Will you live for her? That is sacrificial love. Christ came into the world. He loved the church even before the church was the church. Before the foundation, he loved the church. Listen, I'm going to, I'm hoping you're seeing that you can't isolate Christian from church. All right. The church is the body and the bride of Christ. You say, he knew us before the foundation of the earth. As the church, we are the bride of Christ. Love the church in eternity past. Does that hurt your brain yet? It gave me an earache. It's amazing. Listen, there's something I learned a long time ago, and I can't remember if it was Pink or Tozer. One of them really guys who sit around just circling the planet Earth and then drop a book on us and then keep circling. One of them guys. Okay? The statement was this. There is no future with God. It is an eternal presence. There is no future with God. It is an eternal presence. He loved us before we were born. He loved the church enough to leave heaven. Think about what we do to not go to church. What is our excuse? It's too far. It's too hot. It's too cold. Too sunny. Too cloudy. Too whatever. And yet Christ left sinless perfection to come down here and get to church. He was spit upon. He was mocked. He was crowned with thorns. He was nailed to a cross. He was spear in his side. And he loved the church enough to die a terrible death. That is the way it is with sacrificial love. Again, it's easy for us to die for our wives. He is equal with God. And he gave that up to come in the form of a servant. That is sacrificial love. He is acting in the sacrificial love that he gave up heaven for 33 years. When you get to heaven, you're going to say, oh my God, he left this? Listen, please note Christ's love is not based on deserving anything. There has never been a soul on this globe 
that deserves anything but eternal damnation. Period. And yet his love. You know, we all talk about, well, are they written in the Lamb's book of life? I like that. It's a cool, the Lamb wrote my name down. Okay? Do you realize that the Lamb book of life is the book of the undeserving? And he wrote them in there before the foundations of the earth. God, by his great sovereign love, placed us in the body of Christ. He chose us to be his children. It was not because we were deserving. Please don't ever forget that. The only thing that you and I ever deserved was eternal damnation. That's it. So, this love, which is sacrificial, is not sacrificial because it is deserved. It is undeserved. It is sacrificial because the character of that love is sacrificial. God does not rescue those who deserve it. God rescues those who don't because that is His nature is to love. Listen, it is a lesser love that does sacrificial things for those who earn the right. This love doesn't have any right that is earned. Please, this is very important. I'm going to do a Peter on you and putting this in remembrance that I have spoke of this before. Listen, in this world, we know it is love of an object, something that attracts our view, our smell, our hearing. The object is nice. Therefore, that's the origination for our love. The world says, I love you because you are an object. Listen, why do people date? Well, they are so intelligent. I had a conversation with them. We were getting into dispensational theology, and they did their dissertation on the Greek text, and I thought that was totally awesome. But she is coyote ugly. No. I'm going to go out and buy me a pinto. Really? No. That was the ugliest car. That and a pacer. The two ugliest cars I could ever think of. You don't buy a car because that's ugly. Somebody's got to buy it. When you go looking for a house, they tell you what? What does it look like from the street? What are you looking at? See what I mean? That is what the world's love is. We do that with cars, houses. We are object-oriented attraction. That's what it is. That is how I would say the majority of people choose partners. What does it look like? Okay. Sorry. I remember hearing years and years and years and years ago before I was saved that you marry the first time for love. You marry the second time for convenience. And I've seen it. I've seen it. When it became inconvenient, guess what? And move on. God's love is very, very, very different. I want you to think about this. God doesn't care 
what the object is. It is his nature to love. God just loves. You know the football football verse? God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son. I always see that in the goal line, the three sixteen, okay? Gave his only begotten son. Alright? That object has nothing to do that God loved the world, even though the world hated him. Do you know before your salvation, you hated God? Well, I never really hated him. Oh, yeah, you did. You didn't believe in him or you ignored him. Or you didn't put him first. You hate him. At some point in time, every one of us here who is a believer hated God. And yet, guess what? He loved us. It is not the object that defines the love of God. Husband, love your wife. Not because she deserves it. Love her enough to die for her. Love her enough to live for her. Whether she is worth dying for or not. Frankly, she may not have deserved to be stuck with you in the first place. Okay? We are commanded to love, therefore we love. Love is not based on attraction. I shared with you uh, Karen Salentine's obituary. I remember going to her and Jerry's 50th anniversary, wedding anniversary. And Karen Salentine was about that tall. Yeah, maybe that tall. Okay. And Jerry was probably six foot. But he was about that wide too. Okay. And I remember seeing them on the dance floor at the 50th anniversary. Of course, they were playing some like really old music. And they were out there dancing. And you just looked at that and you're like, how does that work? <laughs> I mean, you got Stay Puff Marshmallow Man dancing with the midget. Okay. And yet I thought about it and I thought, that's what love is. And if you ever sit and watch them interact, you're just like, oh, geez. But she would go, he had this old Ford uh, panel truck with a hot rod motor in it and had it all painted up. It was nice. He'd take it out to shows. And anytime he was around the area showing, I would go. And you see them pull up. Little Karen can just barely see over the dashboard. Jerry's about got his head stuck through the ceiling. And they they get out and they walk around and people ask questions. And I, I just looked at that and I was like, they didn't, they might have married for attraction at first, but you ain't telling me they would marry at attraction right now. I can say that. I've known her a long time and Jerry. We are commanded to love, and our love is not based on attraction. It's a command of God. Listen, we are called to be His disciples. A disciple is a follower of God. What should they look like? They should have the nature of love. And it is a nature. That is why they talk about being born again. You have a new nature. The love that God is showing us and showed the world is undeserved. And yet, the astonishing thing is, it has no limit. This is love. You don't deserve anything. God said to each and every one of you who is a true believer in Jesus Christ, I will give you everything. I will give you my best and you don't deserve any of it, but I'll die for you. Men, what are we to do with our wives? Give everything. Period. Okay, now then, I want to give you a little footnote because uh, 
I've seen this creep in places. Love as God defines it is not an emotion. It is not a feeling. Okay? That is how the world defines love. The love of God defined by God is an act of selfless sacrifice. That is God's. It is an act. It is seen. Anybody in need of it and anybody worthy of it, remember remember what he said, Jesus said, what was the greatest commandment? Love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. What was the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Question, who's your neighbor? I can give you the same illustration that Jesus did. The Samaritan, which was the lowest of the low lives to the Jewish people, was beaten and left on the dirt to die. The Pharisees went by, wagged their heads. Sadducees went by, wagged their heads. Wouldn't walked on the other side of the street. The guy came by, and what did he do? He bandaged him up, put him up in a hotel, says, I have business, I'll take care of him. Here, take care of his needs. Whatever he occurs, I'll take care of him when I get back. That's your neighbor. That nasty one laying in the road. Gospel of John chapter 13 is an interesting text. I've always kind of been fascinated by this. Then he poured water into a basin, verse 5, basin, and began to wash the feet of the disciple and to wipe them down with a towel and which he was girded. So Simon Peter came. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said, yeah. Well, you do realize now, you will understand thereafter. Peter said, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Okay, you know what is amazing about that that text? We've all heard of it. Jesus washing your feet, right? But you have to read the other Gospels to bring it in. You know what was going on just before he did this? The disciples were arguing who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. The lowliest slave in the household is the one who washed the guest's feet. They're arguing who's going to be the greatest, and the king walks over, gets a bowl, and washes their feet. Hmm. He washed their feet. Let me ask you a question. Did they deserve it? They were arguing over who was the greatest. Did they deserve it? They were self-centered. He was heading to Calvary within a few hours. And when Jesus finished doing this, the other gospel tells me, he says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. He loved them and it was not emotional. Okay? Listen, there is no doubt in my mind that when he was washing their feet, he was feeling pain and sorrow and sadness. One, he's about to go over to Gethsemane and say, Father, if possible, remove this cup from me. Two, he's looking at these knuckleheads he's been with for three years. They're arguing whoever's going to be the greatest, and they are not listening to a word. He's saying that he has to suffer and die for the sins of man. Three, how that must have broken his heart. We share love because love is right. He loved them. And it wasn't an emotional thing. He loves us and it's not emotional. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let me tell you something. God didn't love us because he was emotional. We were enemies. We hated God. God so loved us anyway. So much that he gave 
himself up. Think of your bride. Think of Christ's bride. What did Christ do for His bride? What do we do for our bride? Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, the church was He purchased with His own blood. We were so rotten, He had to die to claim us. He purchased us off the slave block and the cost was His life. We were so far gone, He had to give His life to rescue us. That's the sacrifice. He did it. That's love. That is how husbands are to love their wives. Listen, it's not emotional. It's not emotional. Love is always, always, always a verb. Love always acts. Love always meets the needs. 1 Corinthians 13, we all remember that. The love, you're supposed to read that when you're getting married. Love is patient, love is kind, love is this. No, it's a verb. There's no icky sentimentalism in it. Whatever is in need is met. Love reaches out. You will never really know how to love until you sacrifice yourself. Until you crucify yourself, as Paul told the Philippians. Until you die to self. Paul said that true love seeks not its own. So many marriages, each are looking for what they can get. I see what they do this thing now. I, I can't believe people are crazy enough to get on that uh, internet dating. Uh, you know. Now listen, now I, I know some people who've done it. We had one of our elders, he met his wife through internet dating, and they are so happy that it should be illegal. But, uh, I mean, they've got two kids, and anyway... But, you know, they did it, and you're sitting there going, you know, dude, that's it's like a box of chocolate. You don't want what's inside. But one of the things that they're doing now is you've got to give a financial statement. They want to see how much money you make and how much debt you have. To date. And I'm sitting there going, huh, so much for attraction. <laughs> <laughs> True love does not seek its own. So many marriages. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself. It was sacrificial. Well, when was the last time you made a sacrifice for your wife? Now, be careful. Because I know the definition of sacrifice. Okay? It isn't because, well, I want an ice cream. You want me to buy you one? That's not sacrifice. Sacrifice yourself for your wife. That is dying to self. That is dying to self. Many men, well, okay, some men, want to be spiritual leaders. How often do they sacrifice their will, their desires, for their wives. Because if that's not common in the individual, how are they going to sacrifice their desires for the body of Christ? I hear people say, well, they should be a teacher. You ever heard them talking, articulating, pontificating, all them other things? That ain't what I'm looking for. I want to see a servant. I want to see a servant who says, look, there's a need. And just because of love takes care of that need. Never goes tells anybody, never asks anybody, never pronounces it. I think this should be in the bulletin. No, they just go do it. Do they die for that lady they're married to? 
We had an elder in this church been a few years ago. When he became an elder, he was single. And uh, he, he was a good elder. But when he got married, it was like the wheels started wobbling on a cart. And the elders, we tried to help him. We explained to him, always oh, be all right, he'd be all right, he'd be all right. But the, we kept wobbling. And if you've ever seen that before, the wheels wobble, they don't get better on their own. And he thought it was going to get better on his own, and he ended up having to step away. Listen, if that self-sacrifice, denying of self to crucifying of self, is not in the home, it won't be in the body. Sacrificially giving one's up. Love meets the needs. Love is so attuned. Remember I told them they were sensitive? Love is so attuned, they know the need before it is presented. Okay? You know, um, I would like to see this body. You're missing a tremendous opportunity, Castle Rock. A tremendous opportunity. Okay? Here's why I say that. We're such a mega church. Right? I didn't even know you attended that church. Was you in the early service, the early, late service, the afternoon service? When were you? Okay. There is no reason for every one of us to be intimately involved in each other, knowing each other's need before that person even says, I have a need. Because I know how you guys are. You don't ever ask even if you have to have a need. But if I'm involved with you, then I can see the need whether you can or not. I've been blessed with that because I'm not good with names, so God don't give me a lot of people. I mean, I hate to go up, hey, you, what can I do? <laughs> but, you know, I, I see these big churches. I'm like, there are people in here that other people don't even know attend this place. And yet we should know each other. And I'm not talking about, well, the birthdays and the anniversaries are in the directory. You know what? I don't even have a directory. But people do remind me, you know, such and such has got a birthday. Well, hallelujah. Okay? But we are small enough that we should be involved. We should be encouraging each other. We should be showing the love of Christ to one another because we all know it's in our family, huh? Men need to die to self. I have looked in the Bible and the original languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and macho does not appear. It is the crucifixion of self. Denying of self. There was a quote, you know, this is how oh, I love you. Uh, my God is years and years and years and years ago, I read this quote. And I was going through this to present this this morning. I thought, where in the heck is that stinking quote? I don't know where that quote's at. I know the quote. And I've read it. It's an awesome quote. And you'll see it in a minute. And so uh, I went through all my files, which are truly organized. And I just went through things. Anyway, I was reading through a book. And all of a sudden, this little piece of paper, just like that, fell out of my Bible. So I will read to you, what does it mean to deny yourself? I don't know who wrote this. Okay, It's that anonymous dude. When you are forgotten or neglected or purposely set at naught and you sting and hurt with insult over the oversight, but your heart is happy, being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, when your advice is disregarded, your opinions are ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but take it all in patience, 
loving silence. That is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, any annoyance, when you stand face to face with waste, folly, extravagant, spiritual insensibility, and endure it as Jesus endured it, that is dying to self. When you are content with any food, any offering, any raiment, any climate, any society, any attitude, any interruptions by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in a conversation or to record your own good works or itch after a commendation, when you are truly loved, when you truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you see your brother prosper and have his needs met and can honestly rejoice with him in the spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your needs are far greater and in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you receive the correction and reproof from one less statured than yourself, can, can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion, no resentment rising up within your heart, that is dying to self. Brothers, the manner of love is sacrificial. Christ gave Himself. That is our command. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that... Uh, You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. So, Father, I pray that each of us, if we're struggling, or we're overwhelmed by this text, we bow our need and say amen and an amen. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you so much for the amazing things you've done. But, Father, I look forward with great expectation at the tremendous, amazing things that you will do. Love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.